listen, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and open it back to Ephesians chapter 6. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. We've titled this series, The Gospel Comes Home. And uh, I trust that it's been a blessing to your life. This is message number eight on The Gospel Comes Home. I spent two weeks on the wife's role, then three weeks, I believe, on the husband's role. And then I spent the, the seventh or, or three weeks on the husband's role and then a final week on husband and wife responsibilities. And last week, I spoke to the children's responsibility. And this week, I've titled the message, there it is, the parents' responsibility. Look again at the scripture in 6.1, children, it's, and we said they're the focus there, obey your, and there's the word, parents in the Lord for this is right. And last week I spent, as I said, the, the time on the children and specifically their responsibility in the home. So just as the wives have a role and the husbands have a role, children who are in the Lord, in Christ, have a role. And that role there, as I laid out, I tried to be as clear and practical as I could be, is to obey and honor their parents. However, as we come to our time this morning, it is, you would agree, the parent's responsibility to enforce that obedience and that honor in the home. And so I've titled this, The Parent's Responsibility. I do want you to glance down in your Bible, in the ESV, at least in 6.4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That will be addressed to the father's responsibility. If your translation in 6.4 says parents, I'll explain that next week. It properly, and even as the ESV has, primarily, it is addressed to fathers to not provoke their children. So as we move from the children's responsibility, and then on the backside, the father's responsibility, I thought it appropriate to address the parents. We said last week that the parents stand in the gap, do they not? between children and God when the children are too young to have a mature relationship with him. Parents, we likened it to uh, as a steward, God's steward in that home with these precious children. Those children, whether they be yours or whether they be adopted or whether you've taken in 30 <laughs> like the Hurleys are loaned to you by God, uh, so that you could care for them. Now, this idea of the parent's responsibility is connected to a very central truth in the Old Testament. So I want to begin in the book of Deuteronomy. Would you just turn there for a moment? And again, my theme and my subject matter is parents this morning. And I couldn't help but think 
of Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 10. Some have called it the Magna Carta uh, of the home that would guarantee both the happiness of the home and the purposes of God. Now, as you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is known as the Shema. That's just a term in Hebrew that means to hear. But I want you to follow this, and parents, this is for you. It says in 6.1, and he's Moses, the 120-year-old leader, is about ready to leave this life. He's brought them through the promised land. They're sitting at the edge before going into the promised land, and he reiterates the commandments and the statutes to the nation Two families that are to give it two children. Look at 6.1. Now this is the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord, and I want you to personalize this, parents, that the Lord, your God, commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. In other words, he's giving them instruction and us secondary in the hearing of the word of God. That you, in 6.2, fear the Lord your God and that you and your sons and sons' sons, by, your sons' son, by keeping all the statutes and the commandments which I command you all the days of your life And that your days may be long. It sounds like the blessing last week. It is. Hear, there's Shema. Therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. In other words, the Lord wants to bless. And that you might multiply greatly um, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, very succinctly there, you can see the command to fear the Lord your God. Certainly families are to instruct children in the character of God, in the fear of God. And he told them there that as you move into this land, that you need to keep in 6-2 the statutes and the commandments of the Lord. And then look down in 6.4, here, there's that word, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, and uh, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. There he is, he gives the greatest command to parents and to be believers in general to love the Lord your God with your entire being, to love the Lord your God with exclusive devotion. And these words, Moses said, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And it's just enough to say that the parent's responsibility begins with a love for God, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, when you look in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, you see that that is the great commandment in the New Testament. And the great commandment here, at least in Deuteronomy, is to be passed on to children. And it is the parent's responsibility to pass that on. You say, pass what on? Look down at the text in Deuteronomy 6, 7, where he said, and you shall teach 
them, obviously, the children. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets, it says, between your eyes. He gives them the command. He tells parents that they're to pass this truth on and they're to talk of these principles and these commandments when you sit, when you rise, when you lie down. In other words, parents, truth about the character of God was to permeate your home. It ought to be filled with scripture. It ought to be filled with music. It ought to be filled at the conversation table that every moment you get, every passing stride you have, you parents are teaching the statutes and the commandments. You're teaching them about the fear of God. And when you rise up and when you walk and when you talk and when you move in the day, music ought to be on in your home. So much so that you're to put them on the forehead, if you will. In other words, you're to make every opportunity so your children hear the word. In fact, the word was to be written. Look at verse 9. You shall write them the statutes and the commandments on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, it was the word of God that was to be both verbal, it was to be visible, and it was a commitment to the word of God in the home. And I don't think he's so much addressing that you're writing scripture on your forehead. Uh, No, I think the thought here is here is a purposeful, powerful reminder of the word of God that is to be preeminent in your life. It is to be passed from one generation to the next. And the primary agent to do that, one of the primary agents, is the family. This is the parent's responsibility. In fact, look back in Deuteronomy 4, 9. You can't miss all of these. I just highlight a few. In Deuteronomy 4, 9, uh, I like how Moses said this here. He said in uh, 4, verse 20. Nine, where, did I, where am I there? Oh, excuse me, four, nine. Only take care and keep your, I think he's just talking to the people, your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then this, make them known to your children and your children's children. And so the admonition was given to parents to make these truths known both to the children and to their children, to the next generation. Look at chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, specifically there in verse 29, where it says in 529, I love Moses' passion here, and I read it with passion, oh, he says there, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them. And then it says, and their descendants forever or literally and their sons forever. So parents, let me just begin with this. You can talk and you can read a thousand books and I've probably read 500 of them, it seems. But your greatest responsibility in the home 
is not for you to bark out instruction, though instruction and nurture is important. It's for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the truth, as I've said before, is that you cannot impart what you do not possess. And so you have got to fall in love more and more and more in love with the person of God and in love with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there was to be a passing of that truth to the next generation. So turn back now to the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. I think there must be a connection there in Ephesians chapter 6 because when he told the children in 6.1 to obey your parents, he told them to hear, literally is what the word means. He told them to obey. In fact, the word, I mentioned it last week, just a little foundation here. Obey comes from the Greek word hupo. Kuo, uh, the word kuo literally means to hear. Remember I said that. Obey means to hear. Obey means, if you will, to listen. And then that word hear, to listen, has a little prefix attached to it. And it's the word hupo, and it just means under So we say it's a compound word. If you put them together, children have been given a couple commands in the scripture. It's not a ton. But one of them is to obey. And that succinctly means to listen under. So children then are to place themselves under the authority of their parents and listen to them, obey them, and honor their parents. Now, we, we established that, and we said that something like this, that obedience means more than doing, more than a child doing what he or she is told, but it is to do what they are told without challenge, without excuse, and without delay, right? That if a parent in their responsibility is telling their children, the children need to listen, the children need to obey, the children need to honor, and what that obedience looks like is without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. And I wanted to encourage you today as I address you parents, uh, just lock this in your mind. Parents should expect obedience and honor. That should be the norm that drives you. Obviously, the ones who do that are in the Lord because they've been redeemed and they've been regenerated. But let me just say practically, parents, I don't care what our society says, you should at a very beginning and early age expect obedience from your children. They are to obey, and I'm trying to define this for us together, immediately completely, joyfully, and exactly, okay? Not trying to sound like a drill sergeant in any way, but you give them a command, you give them direction. Paul spoke to the children. They should, while they're in your home, and obviously there's levels of maturity between the littles and the older teenagers, but they should obey you immediately, right away. I'll explain that. Completely, fully do what you ask them. 
joyfully do it, I like to say with a happy heart, no rolling of the eyes, no slamming of the doors, and they should do it exactly. And many parents desire for their children first-time obedience, but they actually settle for much less. And I want to address that today. When you give your children a command, I'm asking, do you expect an obedient response? I think sometimes we're parenting from the back of our heels. You don't have to be loud. You certainly should not be in anger for a father in 6-4. But when you give your child a command, you shouldn't expect, you should expect an obedient response. When you say to your son... When you say to your daughter, especially when they're younger, we want you to go to bed now, do they go to bed or is it, I'll go as soon as I finish coloring this page, as soon as I I do this, or is it met with a question, why do I always have to go to bed so early? In other words, when you give that command, if you will, that instruction, there is only one obedient response and it's to go to bed without delay. And any other response is disobedience. It's what we call, and it's not we, it's what the scripture says on obey. Paul's giving an imperative command there. And and it's to be done. We call this first-time obedience, not third-time obedience, and fourth-time obedience, and fifth-time obedience. Do your children, especially the littles, respond with a happy heart? Do they respond without complaining? Do they respond without grumbling? Do they respond completely? Listen, parents, and I'm just helping, okay? When your directives are met with excuses, I don't care if they're in 10th grade or 11th grade or 12th grade, but when they're met with excuses or delays or explanations, your children are not obeying your instruction. I just, especially when they're little, obedience is to be without delay, without excuse, and without challenge. I I just, you say, why am I sharing this? Because I don't think the children's obedience honor is always their fault. It could be at the hands of what we're not doing. You allow them to live at a different level. Ryle, the great Puritan, said this, parents determine to make your children obey you, though it may cost you much trouble and cost them many tears. There is to be no questioning, reasoning, and disputing, and delaying, and answering again. Ryle said, when you give them a command, let them see plainly that you will have it done and that the children will obey and listen to their parents. So we established that last week. Obedience, first command. The second command was to honor. Remember that? If obedience is the act, I'll do it. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Honor is the attitude. And here, that honor, I said, was that children, high schoolers, should hold their parents in such high respect that they regard them with a sense of awe. That's how I look at it. Obedience and honor are like Siamese twins joined at the hip. You separate one, one of them and the other dies. 
Now listen, we finished last week and said, this is not harsh, this is not rude. In fact, just the opposite. When children obey and honor their parents, it leads to, remember, blessing. It leads to a quality of life that it may go well with you. That leads to a quantity of life that you may live long on the earth. We established a general principle and of those two commands. You obey and you honor. And we noted that it brings blessing. So parents, just pleading with you, praying for you. Teach your children to obey God's standard. Obedience is to be immediate, complete, without challenge, and without complaint. And I think the obedience and honor can be more difficult for the parents than sometimes the children. I mean, sometimes you just, it's just hard for parents. And, and because of this, there's false parenting strategies that undermine the process, okay? False parenting, let me call it a philosophy that will undermine the God-given task. And I want to share some of these false philosophies with you. Um, Much of it comes from a friend by the name of, I've mentioned to him before, Fred Barshaw. He was the guy that kind of trained me as a young pastor to be in counseling. Let me pass some of these false philosophies on to you. Number one is the permissive parent. The permissive parent. There's nine of them, but I don't know if we'll have time. The permissive parent. The permissive parent is not concerned with obedience in their children. The permissive parent's philosophy is to provide the child with an environment without boundaries and without restraint. In other words, somewhere, at some point, at some time, maybe in your upbringing, you've adopted this. That you do not want to put any boundaries on your children, any restraints on your children. You certainly wouldn't tell your kid likely no. Negative reinforcement, such as spanking, is viewed as a hindrance to the child's development. And in fact, I know I'm stepping on some toes. You just just can't do that. Well, look in as we all are under God's grace here. The philosophy behind this parenting style is based upon the belief that a child's nature is essentially good rather than it being sinful. And the emphasis of your parenting style is self-expression. Children are given freedom without restraint or without self-control. You don't want to hinder them. And I'm just using words that I listen to. You don't want to repress them. You want their potential to be realized. This is permissive parenting. Is that you? Maybe you'd have an answer. You all, pastor, well, listen. God's given us a command, and he's gave your children a command. They're to obey you, and they're to honor you. 
Obedience is the act. Honor is the attitude. Listen, it could be there's a whole other one on a child-centered family. You just bend your whole family around that child. It could, it, it's permissive. The fallout of permissive parenting is enormous. It leads to insecurity of the children, fear, anxiety, anger, and a lack of self-control. Beloved, you know this. Children need boundaries. Young children even need tighter boundaries. As children mature with age and maturity, parents begin to transfer that trust from them on a horizontal level to God at a vertical level. I think here's what Susanna Wesley, mother of 17 children, including the famous John and Charles Wesley, wrote. She said, the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child walks together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges self-will, does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable. Here's a false strategy. Now listen, I don't need to tell you, your kids go to school with other kids. And if there's one thing that I can think of children today, it is an absolute lack of self-control and a lack of self-restraint in any form to the point where you're afraid to send your children into school. Listen, as the, as the world buys into this, we've been given a standard. Your children have been given a standard. And parents, it's your responsibility to ensure that. I could say more, but let me take you to a second one. Second false strategy or false philosophy is the threatening, repeating parent. So from the permissive parent to the threatening, repeating parent. What is this? Well, it's in the definition. Constant commands, just constant commands followed by repeated threats if they fail to obey. That's the thought here. Constant commands followed by repeated threats if they fail to obey. So what's the problem here? Well, this parenting style, hear me, actually reinforces disobedience because obedience is not required the first time. So you threaten, repeat, threaten, and repeat, threaten and repeat and the parent is actually teaching the child that immediate obedience is not necessary. The parent reinforces disobedience by their constant repetition. Now sometimes you need to secure your child's ear to listen to you. But if you find yourself threatening and repeating, I'm just saying stop just for a second. They should obey you completely, exactly, immediately, joyful, and do so with a happy heart. If they don't, then you want to begin to instruct them to obey and honor you as the steward of God, not because you're perfect, but because they, God's put them on loan to you. Okay, the story is told of a father who, this is the example, who allowed his seven-year-old to form a pattern of not immediately responding to his words until he decided to do something about it. 
this father determined when he did not immediately respond, his son, to his first call to obedience, he would give him a swat on his backside. So the next day, this seven-year-old son did not respond to his first call, and he went over and he gave him a swat on his backside. And the son was shocked. He said, Dad, what are you doing? You never mean business until after you've called me at least three or four times. Son learned. Every child is going to gauge the point where you mean business. And I think it would be better to just say, say what you mean. And mean what you say. And so here is this first time obedience. Listen, it's dangerous for a child to ignore people when he doesn't feel like answering them. As a result, the child develops a philosophy, understatement, of disrespect for all adults and all authority. So we have a part to play in the home. Are you a permissive parent? Are you a threatening, repeating parent? Thirdly, third false strategy or philosophy is what we can title the bribing parent. The bribing parent, the bribing parent use bribes, they use threats, they may even use scare tactics to gain temporary control of their behavior. I'll give you an example. The mom says, if you're good in the store today, this isn't always wrong, but take it for what it's worth. If you're good in the store today, I will buy you a treat. Rather than that child just being expected, listen, we're going into a public setting. I'm going to put you in the, you know, in the, in the, store th cage, you know, if you will, and I, I want you to follow along. If you're good, I'll buy you a treat. You know, I used to work at a grocery store for eight years, and always it was amazing. I'd be at the checks down, doop, 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 checking stuff out, doop, doop, doop. and then why do they always put all that stuff right in front of the kids? It's right there. It's put on shelves. It's just little ones, tall ones. You got one on this side, and boy, usually there's a lot of problems. So a mom might say, if you're good today, I'll give you a treat. Or you could use the scare tactic as one did. If you are not good in the store today, mommy will call an orphanage to come get you. Okay? That's a scare tactic. I mean, obviously, the problem with this parenting style is that it establishes really an improper motivation for obedience. It actually trains, if you do it consistently, the child to obey for reward or fear of punishment rather than obedience just because it pleases God. And this is what God says. Listen, I've raised seven and we have eight grandchildren. It's true that children need positive reinforcement for obedience. It's true that they need negative consequences for their disobedience but they should not be encouraged to be obedient in order to gain a reward or escape a consequence. How about just because here's what the scripture says. So parents, listen, I, I love our church. I love you parents. 
And there's nothing more than I want than to see this thing become a garden and a hothouse for raising these little ones that he's put into so many of your lives. Listen, if you do this as a threatening and repeating parent, children will, with a bribing parent, will learn to negotiate with you as to the reason why their behavior is okay. They will expect you to reward them for everything they do, which is really a misuse of rewards. I mean, children expect then rewards for good behavior, and if they do that, their, here's what I would say, their motivation is extrinsic. Doesn't come from their heart, it comes from the reward or the fear of punishment. And it's always better as a parent to motivate your children, not for their personal gratification, um, but for the fact that it honors the Lord. So listen, are you a threatening, repeating parent? Listen, I suppose there's all of us in our fallenness with hard days that we threaten and repeat. But I think what the Lord would want for you women and for you men, for my heart, my life, as I raised our kids, is for us to walk in the Spirit. You know, when you find a man in control of his home, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that he rules his, his children, and then it says, with all dignity. In other words, there's a dignity to this man. He never has to lose his temper. He never, of course, resorts to any kind of physical abuse. And by the way, I probably should say this. Next week, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So listen, as much as he's telling the children to obey and honor, and he's telling the parents to enforce that, he's going to give a very sharp command that we're not to lead in anger. But at least that man in 1 Timothy 3, he's leading his family well, and he does it with all dignity because his word is his bond, and his children take it seriously. And so I say with you wives, I want your children when husbands are away, if, if there is a two-parent home, because sometimes I know there's a one-parent home, I don't want you to become threatening, repeating. Say, what's the standard? Well, I've told you. It's real simple. Say, well, how hard is it, Scott? Not hard at all. It's only two commands I find in all the New Testament of what a child is to do. Obey, listen, get under their parents, and then honor them with a sense of respect and awe. And the parents in return are going to establish this. This is what leads to a happy home. This is where your children are going to be blessed. So some of you might be fighting me. You might be wrestling me in your heart. But I'm telling you this, especially if your children are young, I want your children to love Christ. I want your children to obey you. I want your children to honor you. And here's, I'll tell you the motive, that it may go well with them. That they may live long on the earth. In other words, God's path of blessing is this. So you can argue with me about permissive parenting because you know, Scott, I was in a home, and I'm not preaching this, where my father was harsh, where I was disciplined in anger. Listen, I'm sorry, and I believe you, but don't go flip on the other side where you're not going to recognize 
that some form of discipline in the book of Proverbs is necessary. And, and I'll address that more as we go. But the final one, can I give you another one? I'm losing it here a little bit. Um, is the overprotective parent, okay? The overprotective parent. You say, what's that, Scott? That's the parent who controls the environment. It's the opposite of permissive, right? You control the environment to such a degree that the child is suffocated from the realities of a real and harsh and sinful world. We all do that to a degree, and rightfully so. But I'm pushing this as negative. The overprotective parent is ruled by fear, ruled by anxiety, and is risk-averted, if you will, is aversion to risk. Because, you know, and I, I understand it in the world we live in, the parent holds the child so close that the child finds it difficult, if not impossible, to become independent because of his dependency on his parents because they're making every decision for him and her. Now, obviously, there's levels of that that the boundaries are very tight when they're zero to five. As they become a teenager, you're walking alongside of them, but some, you know, are overprotective. Children often can carry that kind of dependency into a marriage, and that can potentially cripple and destroy a marriage. Overprotective parents stifle a child's creativity. Everything is supervised because of fear of the future, anxiety, and as a result, the child in that type of home can become frustrated, provoked, Ephesians 6, 4. They can become angry because they're not allowed to experience what would be considered a normal childhood. I don't want you to go too far by that, but everything is controlled. I think I've shared with you one time. Um, he's a friend. That his life began to spin out of control. And... I told you that he came in to me. I said, what, what, what's going on with you? He, he was having panic attacks. Just share that with you. So what happens when you have a panic attack? Scott, I, my ear, it's like I, I, I get so dizzy that I have, to, I have to sit down right in the living room. So he's in, or in the kitchen, he said. So he's there with his family, and this attack comes over him, and it's anxiety. I know that. It's anxiety about the future. You say, well, there's no such thing as a panic attack. No, he's telling me he's having a panic attack. He's getting nauseous. The room's spinning. I just take that at face value. He has to sit down. And I said, well, why did this come about? He looked at me and he said, well, Scott, it came about because you're teaching. And I said, my teaching? I wasn't sure what he was talking about. I've never had that backhanded slap before, you know. He says, because of your teaching on the Antichrist. I, I said, well, it's in the scripture. You know, I was just walking with him. And that's just the, the surface stuff. He's getting anxious. He's fearing the future. 
He's fearing the Antichrist. And really what he's fearing is he's fearing his children growing up in the world in which we live. And he doesn't know what it's going to look like. But I have to dig a little bit. Dig a little bit and tell me why the fear. Tell me about you. Tell me about where you grew up. And he grew up with, a, well, an overprotective mom. And I said, why is she so overprotective? It's a sad story because he said she would warn us to not play by the street. And his older brother played by the street and he got hit by a car, sadly. He didn't die, but he ended up a paraplegic the, the rest of his life. So this young man could never go outside, you understand? And part of the, the fear of a mother, of a parent, she smothered over him and couldn't climb trees, couldn't let him out of her sight, one parent home, I believe. And, and I just thought, part of us, our heart aches for a mother like that, but he grows up with an inability to make a decision. He grows up out of utter fear for his three young children of what they're going to face. And if I could boil it down, I'm really beyond this illustration. He's anxious. He's fearful. Why? He's fearful of the future. He's anxious about the Antichrist. He's anxious, rightfully so, about what his children will grow up in. But listen, you can go so far to this extreme that far from you know, stopping, you know, the creativity side with a threatening and repeating parent, you could actually stuff it. Here, the child is, and if the parent is overprotective, is never old enough to make a decision and to mature into adulthood. You say, Scott, what can I do? Well, listen, I want to be helpful to you. Teach your children to obey the Lord. Teach your children to honor the Lord. Teach your children, this is for you parents, immediate obedience. And let me give you the contrast, not delayed obedience, okay? Teach your children that when you give them a command or a directive, they're to do it completely, not partially. That when you give them a directive, they're to do it joyfully, with a happy heart. That they're to do it exactly what you say. So let me just give you two things that you need to remember in this, okay? Remember, number one, the nature of your child. And this is just flying high here. But Paul said in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and what? Sins. It says in Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Listen, I think I just want to tell you, remember, they're fallen children in your home. They are not neutral. They are born into the world as a sinner, conceived in sin, and they become sinners by birth and they become sinners by choice. And you have to recognize you're dealing with a child in your home that is, that is not neutral, that is not good. They are going to express their will and you have to pack into your parenting a belief in the depravity of even a child. In other words, they don't come ready made to obey you and honor you in your home because we're sinners by nature and by choice. There is a view 
I was talking to John MacArthur about this last week. Actually, he was talking to me. There's a view in Reformed theology. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Not all Reformed movements, but in a Reformed theology that says if your baby was baptized, they enter into a covenant. They have a title for this. It's called presumptive regeneration. Presumptive regeneration. You can look it up. It means that based on infant baptism, you can presume the regeneration of your child placed into the covenant. Not good. Not wise. All seven of my children were born sinners, right? I didn't baptize them as an infant, and if I did baptize them as an infant, it's not placing them in any covenant found in the Scripture. You say, what's dangerous about that? Parents then can regard their children as saved because they were baptized. Pastors then assume that everyone in their church is regenerate based on a baptism. And so I'm saying to you parents, for us to obey this together, then you have to understand the nature of your child that when they're born into the world, just like all of us, we were born as sinners, right? And then secondly, let me say this, not only the nature of your child, but if I will, the correction of your child. Yeah, I'll write this one down, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will remove it or remove it, it drives it, there it is, far from him. Foolishness, just, and then I'm, I'm all done here because I'm out of time. Foolishness, what is that? Well, in the Hebrew, it carries the idea of deception, okay? It's an intent, literally, to deceive. It is to gain something through trickery. And so it's bound up in that child, but the rod of discipline is going to remove it from him, and we'll say more about that next week. Listen, let me just ask you, what kind of parenting philosophy do you have? Next week, I'm going to give you a biblical strategy, but let me just tell you something, and I want to encourage you with this. I wrote down this in my notes. Have these conversations... Have deep friendships that are marked by honesty and by genuine fellowship and have others that you trust and respect that are honest with you about your parenting style. And maybe you do. I mean, I grew up in a place where we're all talking about this kind of stuff. We're not talking about the fact that the Dodgers lost, but they lost to the Padres, you know, last night. We're taught, do you have those kind of friendships? Do you have anybody in your life as a father and you give the right to a few friends to say, hey, talk to me on these styles and let me make sure that my style is a biblical one. You say, well, Scott, what is a biblical style? That's next week. 
Don't provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction, as it says right there in 6.4, in the Lord. And so we'll talk on this. But listen, I just pray we have a responsibility. The children have a responsibility to obey and honor. And we have a responsibility as parents to enforce that. Maybe some of you... You heard that and you thought, wow, this is just really discouraging. I'm all four of those, all wrapped up in one. Listen, um, praise God for the Spirit of God, right? Praise God that he, we train up our children in the way they should go. And it says in Hebrews, what seems right to us. And, and so we're not perfect We've not arrived. If you've struggled with one of those and you've got teenagers and you're paying the consequences of this because you, you say, why a teenager? Like, this doesn't have to happen. But your teenager, I told you when I went into the counseling with Fred Barshaw, he, he, uh, he would tell the parents to work out a contract with these children in their home. And I, I was just sitting there. I, I didn't tell him, but I was sitting there. This teenager was just off. He they didn't like the color of her hair, you get it. They didn't like the holes in all of her clothes. They didn't like her music. They didn't like her friends. And, and I'm like, okay, what will Fred say? And he said, listen, your child is a free agent. And I thought, that's horrible. I was like this. I, he couldn't see me, but I'm sitting there cheering. I'm like this. <laughs> I said, Fred, afterward. That thing's hard to knock. It's so thick. He's, I, I said, how could you tell that? You didn't, you didn't even give them a, a prescription to help them. He said, oh, no, Scott, this 17-year-old has been living for 17 years based on what they want to do, where they want to go, who they want to hang out, what time they want to come home, what music they listen to, what color their hair is. And I, I said, well, you're kind of right. I, and he said, all I can do is have them write a contract for unity in the home. Now listen, the reason I tell you that is, listen, that window for you mommies and daddies from zero to five is huge. And I just want to encourage you that you are establishing your right to rule in the home by requiring this from your children. And then you say, but Scott, they fall short. Exactly. And that's where you push them to the gospel as the only means that would allow them to have a change of heart to do what the scripture says as they look at the finished work of Christ. So listen, there's more to say here. We'll say it more next week. Okay, would you bow your head with me?